0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier Early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. My guest in this episode is a very good sport. Uh, Such a good sport that it really reaffirms my conviction that meditation is good for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Her name is Spring Washam. And if you read my book, by the way, if you haven't read my book, It's available at fine bookstores everywhere. But if you read my book, you met her in the chapter where I go on a 10-day silent meditation retreat. She was one of the meditation teachers presiding over what I called a Zen death march. Uh, In the chapter, I make fun of spring um, in a pretty unsubtle way. Here's what I say. Quote, spring, who appears to be at some indeterminate point in her 30s, is the embodiment of everything that most bothers me about the meditation world. She's really working that speaking softly thing. Every S is sibilant. Every word is over enunciated. She wears shawls. She's probably really militant about recycling. Um, now, in my de- <laughs> in my defense, and in Spring's defense, really, she does go on to become the hero of the chapter. She's the one who gives me key advice at a low point in my practice that allows me to have something of a, a breakthrough. Um, nonetheless, I was pretty piquant in my description of her, so um, and I was worried about that. So before the book came out, I actually tracked Spring down. We didn't really know each other. I had met her that one time on a retreat. And I tracked her down, and I sent her the chapter, and I offered her a chance to – you know, let me I, I would change her name if she was offended or whatever. And and uh, she got back to me and said, no, no, this, she thought the chapter was hilarious. Don't change a thing. Uh, and at that moment, I realized afresh how cool spring is. And um, my suspicion is that meditation is probably part of why she's so cool. But we'll find out for sure when we talk to her. Um, and we also want to talk to her about. Um, I didn't mean to use the royal weed there. I also want to talk to her about a fascinating new project she's embarked upon that involves the drug ayahuasca. It's also it's kind of controversial. And she's been doing a lot of journeys into the Central American jungle. But first. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, thank you. What a nice introduction. My pleasure. I love it. My pleasure. This is going to be fun. <laughs>
0: I'm so glad you agreed to do this. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, of
1: course.
0: So let me start with the question I always ask, which is how, when, where, why did you start meditating?
1: I mean, you know, when I think about my journey with meditation, I really think about this retreat I went on when I was about 23. And I had got into meditation just uh, suffering I mean, I was, I started studying psychology in my late teens. I went through a lot of depressed periods and I um, realized right away, something's wrong with my mind. Like, this is very clear. It it was no, it wasn't a mystery. I kept thinking I need to work on my mind. So I started studying on my own, reading books. I got involved in self-realization fellowship with Paramahasa Yogananda
0: Ali Smith, who was uh, on our show recently, grew up in that church.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I was really—I loved it. And I would uh, study all the material, and I would go to this temple locally here, and we would do three-hour meditations. Whoa. But it was bad. The I, I had no instruction. They didn't give you any instruction. That was the problem. They would just say, open to God, love. That was all you got. So you could imagine that for three hours. That's your instruction. My mind would go crazy. After maybe two hours, it would eventually calm down. And then I would think, "Okay, maybe I am meditating now. So but eventually I needed more instruction and I was getting more depressed and I was in this tortured relationship. I was selling timeshare at the time, which was horrible. I have a hard
0: time imagining you selling timeshare
1: strangely i was good at it though really no that yeah. doesn't surprise me <laughs> People look at me, me in the eye and go we're gonna buy it <laughs> it was terrible i was talking people into these palm springs timeshares. anyway i hated it i was miserable i was getting more depressed um and i heard about it was before spirit rock actually had land and i so, heard about this let retreat. me just jump in
0: for a second so spirit rock is the meditation center where you and i met in right. 2010 uh And so you heard about Spirit Rock before they actually started.
1: Yeah, they had bought the land and they were doing things on the land. And they were in the process of finishing the beautiful hall that you were in Mm -hmm. for your retreat. Suffering. Suffering, right. And um, they were renting facilities. That's how they did their retreats. They would go to different places and rent. And they were waiting for the hall to be done so they could then open the year-round retreat part of the center. And um, I heard that they give you instructions And there's teachers there. And I was like, that's it. I need help. I was kind of having a meltdown. And honestly, I was the night before the retreat. My boyfriend and I had this huge screaming breakup. I packed up stuff in my car. And for the next 10 hours, I drove to the desert sobbing, drinking diet Mountain Dew and chain smoking. I almost crashed many times, as you can imagine, a hysterical woman driving. But luckily, it was in the three of the desert. And I got to the retreat center, and I remember I almost collapsed at the registration table. This is really true. I was so exhausted, and I was it was a 10-day retreat, and I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know it was Buddhist. All I knew was they gave you instructions, and somebody had recommended it. And I somehow got the money together, went down there, and it was life-changing. And I didn't even know that Jack Cornfield was the leader of that retreat.
0: Jack Kornfield, famous meditation Yeah, I didn't know, know who was there. He was the, he wasn't. and is the founder of Spirit Rock. But this was, again, in the desert, not at their current exactly. property in uh, was... north of San Francisco. And so what was life changing about it? What, what changed so much for you?
1: Well, it was like when I got there, I was so exhausted. And the retreat was a 10-day retreat. They used to do these 10-day retreats for beginners. So there I was with 150 newbies. We were all a mess. And... There was these teachings on uh, being present, and that was something that I hadn't learned at self-realization fellowship. They never talked about living in the present moment. It's a beautiful tradition, and I love it, but it was more about sort of focus on love and God, and i didn't I couldn't figure out, but what about my mind? Yes, I love God. I love this idea of love, of course, whatever that means to you, God, whatever consciousness. But I didn't know how to work directly with my mind. And so when I got there and they gave these instructions like, follow your breath. Oh, my gosh, follow my breath. Doing walking meditation in the desert for hours. My mind finally began to calm down. And I had these moments there. I could really, I really say, and I'm writing about this now, that it, that retreat was kind of an awakening experience. For days, my mind became quiet, peaceful, I would spend hours walking, sitting, and the teachings I heard just—it was like some deep, some deep remembering. Like, oh, I know this, and um, and it was very emotional. I can remember I'm walking in the desert and just oceans of tears falling with each step. And at the end of that retreat, I walked up to this little area. It was kind of like a little mountain in the behind the retreat center in the desert, and I kind of like ordained myself. <laughs> And I was like, I will follow these teachings until the very end. It was really powerful. And after that, I really changed my life. It was like direct course turn, shift.
0: Wow. No more timeshares. You were studying No, I was done.
1: And I was, yeah, I basically was like, this is what I want to do. And I just started going on retreat after retreat and working at places just to get money to go back on retreat. And I was thinking of ordaining as a nun. Like a whole bunch of things were set in motion. But I just at that point saw myself as a yogi. Like, I'm in this world, but I'm going to just practice. This is such a powerful um, path, and it was helping me.
0: Your hair was on fire. Yeah. So let me just step back for one second. You said you 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 had a lot of depression. Do you think that was strictly neurochemical, or were there events in your life during your childhood that that had created this?
1: I think it was more coming from the, the circumstances of my life. At that time, I was sort of estranged from my family. I'd had this really, really um, painful childhood, and there was things I hadn't dealt with, trauma, all kinds of things. And as I got into my late teens, it became debilitating, where I went up for a long period when I was in my late teens. I was living with a family friend, luckily, and I was living in Los Angeles, and I couldn't get out of bed for months, and I would just cry And so then it's then that led me to psychology because I was like, something's wrong with my mind. And I started reading a lot of self-help books, Wayne Dyer, anything I can get my hands on. And then actually another turning point was I started to go to this church called Agape with Reverend Michael Beckwith. And it was very small then. It's a whole movement now. Yeah, but I've interviewed him. Yeah, 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 and he was so charismatic. Mm-hmm. I would go on Wednesdays and Sundays and we would meditate. And that also, again, he was planting the seeds like, okay, it's my mind. But again, there was something missing, right? I needed more direct instructions, like how do I actually do this? What do I need to apply? And it was the moment-to-moment awareness of mindfulness That for me was a huge ingredient that was missing from a lot of other traditions, a training,
0: a training, actual, actual
1: training. And then let's do it. You know, that meant a big thing to me to learn how to do that and to be guided and to know there was this lineage of awakened beings who who applied that. That to me was also very important. Who else has done this? And does this really work? And then looking at the traditions, I was like, wow, this is really it.
0: But what made you believe you just used a sort of some trigger words there for me as a skeptic awakened beings. What made you believe that there? So what? They say there were these awakened beings. (laughs) What what made you believe that these people actually, actually existed and that awakening was possible, whatever that even means?
1: Well, I knew reading Paramahansa's biography that his mind was different than my mind.
0: Paramahansa, again, was the founder of the...
1: Self-Realization Fellowship. So that was like the first experience I had with what you would call awakened or or some kind of awakened mind. How do you know his mind
0: is different? He could have been full of crap. Yeah,
1: you're right. And it is. It's really cheesy, the word awakened and enlightenment. I mean, you know, it's everywhere now. It's in commercials. It is. I didn't really know. But what I knew was that after that 10 days, something had happened to me that I was, something fell away, I was able to be with myself in a different way, I was able to tap into something. It's similar to what you kind of wrote about in your book, like something happened. And that in me produced a lot of faith.
0: What, what I would say what happened for me was not mystical or magical, it was more just that my the, the chattering... um uh moron in my skulls quieted down and i was able to just be uh, aware of whatever's happening right now and that was accompanied with a pretty big blast of serotonin and <laughs> and i think that you get you can it, the more you can and what also became clear for me is that there is a methodology to just in, in, increase the likelihood that you'll be awake in any given moment um and, and it's just this tradition of mindfulness and meditation that's what for me, it created, if you want to call it faith or trust or confidence or whatever, uh, th- that I wanted to go forward. But there was nothing I, – I still don't – you know, nobody's offered me um, indisputable truth that that A, the Buddha existed or B, that he was awakened and uh, and that, you know, never got into a bad mood or uh, – th- that I, I remain sort of skeptical.
1: <laughs> I, I agree. And in moments, I get really skeptical too. Like what is this, a big hoax to where I'll just, you know, sitting here meditating and – But the thing about it is that I looked at how I felt inside and living in the present moment. So when I say someone is awakened, okay, let me just clarify that. I mean, someone who doesn't lose track of that awakened state, someone who's not identified with the psychopath in their head. That to me is a being that I trust. Someone who is out, sort of living outside of that, not caught in that. And granted, we all get caught in that. I think this is the training is to more and more moments of freedom. But um, freedom
0: from that voice in that, freedom not being from the psychopath. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah.
1: And we can say the insane part of our mind. There is a total craziness in our minds. That's no doubt about it. But someone who is um, living awake and and living from that state of moment to moment awareness. So rather there's a guy named Buddha out there who did that or other teachers. But the more I traveled when I was younger and I would go to different places, um, the more I started to believe that this was the path that was leading me to that. Because the more awake I was, the happier I was. The more free I felt, the more loving I felt, the more innate compassion was there. The more altruism naturally arose. And for me, that's important to be going more in that direction. Yeah. And Less I think suffering.
0: it's hard to what once you once you wake up to this thunderous truism that you're happier when you're, you know, aware of what's happening as opposed to the lost in and delusion and, and, and rumination and projection. It's hard to turn back. Yes. And once you see it, it's hard to turn back. Uh, in my view, um, although people fall off the wagon as meditators all the time, but. We can talk about that. So anyway, um, you – so you have this fir- first experience. It sounds like it was huge. You then throw yourself into it, become a meditation teacher, and you – and I may be leaving things out, which you can fill in when I, whenever I shut up. Um, but the, the what I'm trying to get to next is the fact that you started a very interesting center called the East Bay Meditation Center. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah. And which the- is
0: right in the middle of a uh, – I would say not a yuppie neighborhood.
1: I would agree with that. (laughs) Downtown Oakland is that yuppie. Although it's changing, you know, it is changing fast. And there's a lot of people. um, Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation Mm -hmm. about what's happening in urban places. Yeah. So, you know, 10 years of practice, squeeze in there. And then out of that was this desire to be of service, to teach people to go to where they are and right in the middle of it and, and just start working with the community. I think that's a really important thing to do. Well, when, like you, when you
0: when you walked in, I think it is, too. Let me, uh, yeah. Absolutely. It's an amazing thing to do. But when you walk into a community like that and say, all right, we're going to teach you guys how to meditate. Do, are people receptive to that or, or I mean, how does that go down?
1: Well, at our center, we open the doors and who comes comes. We didn't do any heavy advertising. We weren't out there flyers. You got to come. This is the new thing. We didn't do any of that. People just started showing up. It was all word of mouth. People would come and they'd bring their five friends the next week. And then we say, you just, you know, you got to be here. You just got to practice this. You you just just work with it. And a lot of what we did was we we're giving teachings that really were focused on that community. So I wasn't giving lofty teachings on the empty nature of reality and all that. I was talking about the heart, how to live in this moment when you're heartbroken or when you are terrified or when you are so depressed, you can't even get up. Or when, you know, I was, I was talking about what was really happening. Or when you're violence. Or when they had to sit with you, have trauma. What happened? So it was teachings applied to that community. I was referencing quotes that they knew, people they knew. I mean, we have an image right now, beautiful picture of Dr. King. He's been on our altar since day one. For people, that resonates, right? That's That is the awakened heart. That is a heart that is... That's something that they want to they want to be like that. So um, I mean, we'd all like to be like that on some level. I hope you know to have sure. that kind of courage.
0: So I would imagine that these that your the, the the this is a population that doesn't come in you know Lululemon yoga pants and, uh, no. and these are not you know whole food shopping NPR listening traditional uh, meditators uh, which actually I want to talk about in a second. But so. Uh, can, can you give me some stories of of who you're serving here and, and any and and what kind of results you've seen
1: I mean we okay so we have I guess you could describe our community as a mix of all that. So there are people who you know are do shop at Whole Foods, but they don't. We wouldn't consider themselves like a Lululemon wearing. You know, they're more the hipsters, soul, soul tribe. I guess whatever you want to call it, right? They're natural and and you know. So. By the
0: way, nothing against Whole Foods. I shop there too. I'm <laughs> yeah, just saying yeah. that. No, that, we that, don't.
1: That. I, it's a. It represents something, and I, I know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, there's definitely a. a yeah, I get it. Um, I mean, you know, I think the stories are, are so varied of people who come there. I've worked with people who were homeless and started coming there and later shared with me, you know, I came here out of hearing about this place. I was living in my car, but somehow I would just come here spring every Thursday and you'd be here. And I started working with my mind and doing the meta practice and taking responsibility and learning and doing, and their whole life would change within a few years. That's somebody that we're now thinking, hey, that could be a future teacher.
0: Wow. I just want to quickly jump in and define, you you talked about meta practice, M-E-T-T-A, that's loving kindness uh, meditation. You were the first person ever to teach me how to do that on retreat back in 2010, and I now (laughs) do it all the time, Uh, even though I... Found it unbelievably syrupy and annoying initially and still do on some levels. It is, I think, very good for you. Um, let me just get back to this whole whole, whole foods discussion um, because this is one of my uh, frustrations. But and I just, I'd like to hear your views. What do you think about the state of diversity in the meditation world? My view is that it's not nearly where it needs to be. And uh, do you agree with me? And if so, what can be done?
1: I do agree with you. I mean, hello, Dan. I was practicing at Insight Meditation Society
0: in Massachusetts. Um, yes,
1: eighteen years ago, mm-hmm. I was the only person—young person. Everyone was sixty-five then, and I was the only person. And I would go—only person of color. Only person of color. And I would go through so much suffering. And I would leave my colorful community in Oakland, and then I would go there, and I would just—I had so much faith. It didn't matter. But I was complaining about this to Joseph Goldstein all the time. Who I go,
0: founded Insight the Meditation? And
1: system. I and I would go, I this is so painful. What is wrong with the Dharma? And I would go on and on. And it was it was out of that, that the desire to create an urban community. It was that suffering I felt so alone. And it wasn't anything against the people that were there. They were just everybody was there working on themselves and meditating. But the lack of diversity was uh, so painful it was a lot of suffering for me yeah.
0: You can correct me if i'm wrong about this my view in the last decade or so ims Insight meditation society and spirit rock have have labored i think quite they've done a lot of work to try to boost um uh diversity i don't know i'll hear i'm eager to hear your view on whether enough has been done um But if you look at the board of directors at IMS, for example, it's a pretty diverse crew. And there are people of color retreats. And I I know because I know Joseph quite well that it's on his mind and a huge priority for him. I'm more talking about just sort of meditation generally in the broader culture and the cover of Time magazine when they did their Mindful Revolution cover. And it was this uh, beautiful (laughs) blonde, you know, floating off into the cosmos with meditative bliss. That's part of my problem with the cover. But the other problem is. This person clearly just doesn't look like the rest of us and and definitely doesn't look diverse. Um, she certainly sort of, you know, looks like she could be my neighbor on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and go to Whole Foods with me. I consider myself in some ways like part of the problem, you know. Um, so I don't know what what you think in terms of. So on one level, you've got the Dharma centers, IMS Spirit Rock and what they're doing or not doing. And then on the other level, you just have this sort of broader cultural view of the practice. So I'll stop talking and let you Thrilling and uh, very, very plotty, but it's also written incredibly well. It's truly literature. Deep, Deep Kapoor is a, a force of nature as a writer. Age of vice. It takes you into the uh, underworld in New Delhi in India. I absolutely love that one. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers, and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash
1: 10%. Well, I agree with you that Insight Meditation Society and Spirit Rock have done a lot. I mean, they've both been really, especially Spirit Rock has been trying for years to have conversations, to dialogue, but you know, one of the things, and they've done a lot. I actually applaud them for what they, they have attempted to do, what they're trying to do. They just had a huge three-day diversity training that was mandatory for mm-hmm. senior staff, board and all teachers.
0: Yeah, in San Diego.
1: Um, Very important uh, work. And it's just such a painful topic, though, Dan. You know, the whole thing when we talk about diversity and who's in and who's out and in inclusion and exclusion, it brings up power. It brings up privilege. It's painful, and that's the thing that I didn't understand early on. I'd be like, "We're in a diversity training. Why are all these older, middle-aged white people curled up in the fetal position?" Right? You know, it was so they couldn't deal with it. It was so painful. So I've been come to understand that this resistance. Or this fear—it's just a complex issue of how to make our communities more diverse, and um, it's something I'm really interested in. And and so that was a big motivation to go in and in, into communities and create it from within. And it also has a lot to they, people need to see themselves mirrored.
0: Right. Well, so the, what about so picking up on that exactly? What what do what do we do to change the broader cultural view? Of meditation, whether it's Buddhist or secular or Hindu. What how do we make that not seem like such a upper middle class pursuit?
1: Well, the mindful magazine cover didn't help. There was a lot of backlash. Oh
0: uh, you type Time magazine. Time magazine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The
1: Time magazine yeah. um cover didn't help that much, right? Because then again, it's propagating who this is for, a twenty-two-year-old supermodel. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't help, right? It doesn't show a, a snapshot of of the real practitioners. Um But I think, you know, it is a lot about teachers. It's a lot about their awareness, their training, how they are. We create inclusion and exclusion a lot by language, how we frame things, how, you know, um, teaching teams. You know, in the Western Vipassana model, there's this really beautiful group of teachers who collectively teach. That's pretty unique to the West, That's not how it's done in Asia. There's kind of the guru, Mm -hmm. the teacher. He's Mm -hmm. a lone force, you know. And um, But we have this new model, and I think what we're doing is we're creating new models all the time. I feel really hopeful about this based on what I've seen in Oakland about a diverse community coming together because some of my events are so incredible, and they're the most diverse. And we still, at our center, we still attract a lot of, uh, you know, Whole Foods wearing yoga, Lululemon where you know, we get that crowd too. But they're so delighted to be at EBMC. They're like, oh, this is so great, mm-hmm. you know, which has pluses and minuses. There's kind of this like, oh, my God, you know, this kind of overdoing it. Mm-hmm. But that's touching, mm-hmm. you know, and I myself am biracial. My mother is white. My father's African-American. So I myself understand I'm a certain bridge for these two cultures. I have this down-home Baptist African-American family on the East Coast. And then there's this California side on the West Coast. So in some ways, I feel like, ah, oh, this has always been my, my topic.
0: Yeah, you were like put here to deal with this. I was
1: put here to deal with this in this time, in this place, and try to bring people together.
0: There's so many other things I want to talk to you about. Okay, yes. so, so um, why were you so cool about me making fun of you in the book? I mean, you were so cool about it. I thought you were going to be. I didn't know you. I thought, and I thought you were going to be pissed. You know, and you were so, so cool about it. Is do you think that's just because you're just cool at baseline, or because you've had meditation in your life allows you not to take yourself so seriously? Talk to me about that. <laughs>
1: Okay, I thought the chapter, I laughed for so long when I read it. I was, this is perfect. This has to go out every word. Okay, that was my thought. Because I was you on my first retreat. Those, every single thought that you had, I had about all those teachers. It was brutal. My mind would sit there and go, oh my God, what is she wearing? (laughs) Who are these people? Like, (laughs) I don't want granola anymore. I want, you know, I had every, I just saw myself. And, um, and I think there is something funny about the meditation community and the whole vibe. There's something hysterically funny about it. There we are sitting, and mm-hmm. then I love when you talked about binging on rice cakes. And <laughs> it was like, exactly, there's nothing else here to eat. Nope. Uh, Golden-free snickerdoodles. Exactly, yeah. whatever. And there is something you have to have humor with that. And but, I but, thought it but, was great. But
0: it wasn't humor in general. It was humor at your expense. Is that? I, mean, I didn't
1: feel like that. Okay. It, but okay. To me, it was the archetype.
0: Yeah. You but know? It, 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 yes. And as, as I said in your defense, you, you swooped in at my moment of most dire need and gave me incredibly wow. clear advice that really led to the the single most um, memorable time I've ever had as a medita- in my mm. brief meditation career. So... It's not like I was picking on you um, egregiously, I don't think, at least. But but you you really handled that very well. And so let me ask again: Do you think, on some level, if if you had stayed uh, chain smoking, drinking diet Mountain Dew, and selling timeshares, and never encountered meditation, and somebody had made fun of you, would, how would you have handled it differently, or were you always kind of just cool about that type of thing?
1: I think I probably would have took it more personally, probably. But it was. I don't know. I just thought it was so funny and I loved that we could have that experience and that you could make a shift like that where it didn't just stay like that. Oh, this girl, the whole retreat. Cause sometimes people don't switch, right? It's like they project on the teacher and, and I, I just knew it really wasn't about me. It was something it represented. It was some kind of like, we're struggling with this in ourselves, like how to live a spiritual life, but it's not cheesy. It's real. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And who are they? Are they real? Are they not? Right. Isn't that really the question? Is this all fake? She's probably, you know, and <laughs> and so for me, it was like also forgivable. I saw my own mind do that a billion times. Are you kidding? The only thing to do is project on teachers on long retreats
0: <laughs> because you're, you're bored out of your mind. You're bored yeah, out yeah, of your yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, they yeah.
1: look uh, you're irritable that, that somebody saying something or doing something. And yeah, so I saw myself,
0: um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think the, the real sort of poetic part of it was that that in the end uh I come to realize that the the jerk or the the the, the foolish figure is me not you at all so um okay so let's move thank you for that um yes. you have this incredibly interesting new project that you're doing and also by your own description quite controversial uh it has to do with ayahuasca and teaching it in peru so i was wrong when i said central america it's actually south america i thought you'd spend some time in Costa Rica but I guess it's I Peru. Have. Okay, so but it's Peru. central and South America. Um, well, okay, I have a million questions about this, but how did you get interested in ayahuasca and what what do you think it does for you?
1: Okay, so I this is it's this the topic of we'll say plant medicines is is controversial, but the topic about psychedelics in Buddhism and Zen and all these traditions, it's not a new one. You know, there's all kinds of teachers who have had, if you, you know, from Ram Dass. Yeah, Ram Dass
0: to... got fired from Harvard. Right. You know. Well,
1: he was a bit extreme, right? Yeah. I think it was after he's had students in the his LSD house for days at a time. So not very responsible, <laughs> but he admits the whole thing was perfect. You know, that needed to happen. Um so I wanna say that I'm not propagating psychedelic use. That's not really what I'm doing. I feel that the plants, these spirits that I feel that are teachers. So when people say drugs, yeah. This is You're gonna calling sound calling plants
0: little... spirits. What?
1: Well, um I guess you could say, in some way, they're teachers. I know this is a far. Th- this is okay. So maybe we we don't have to go there yet. Let me just back up to why I got interested in ayahuasca because I think we can set the groundwork and then it'll seem a little. Some people are like, "What? This is really out there."
0: But you, we'll 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 give yeah. you a do-over. You can co-opt us with I some could, logic yeah, and then get yeah. us Let's into us get spirit.
1: I'll get logical first. I, nuts <laughs> and bolts It's the same thing. I had been meditating for years. I had probably done at least two and a half years of silent retreat. I'd spent months and months at IMS Forest Refuge, the other center that's in the woods for long term. I had done every type of therapy that you could, from holotropic breath work to rebirthing to traditional therapy to you name it. I did it, vision quest, uh, all night prayers, everything. Soul
0: retrieval. Soul retrieval. Do you anything with dolphins. <laughs>
1: I have never been with dolphins and asked them for help, but uh I would have though if I hadn't have found this. So
0: even after uh, two and a half years of silent med- not two and a half years of, of meditation, but two and a half years of of silent retreats. In very time, intense retreat. So years of uh, years, real uh, yeah. you were still in a lot of pain.
1: I was still suffering. And it was it was like the beginning of your Dharma practice is the grosser levels you meet first. So you meet the psychotic one that's so obvious. They're screaming loud and you're like, wait, I can see you. I can hear you. Okay. And you heal that level. And then you can take a breath and go, wow, okay, I'm doing better. But what happens over time is those deeper ones, Dan, the demons that are really dug in. These habitual ways of thinking, belief systems uh, that are really rooted in just suffering start to emerge and I had never I thought I had dealt with a lot of the trauma I had from my childhood I thought I had dealt with it but there was this residue that was still there and I had went on this long retreat and I was doing the loving kindness practice where I was doing actually in a very concentrated way okay so I was going very in these exalted states right of Bliss and love, and then I would come hurling down into just a hell realm. My mind had two places it went: heaven, hell, and it was, um, in a way, I got kind of blown out. They use this word when you your you, your mind is not stabilized in a meditative way. It's too hard to be mindful. It's too extreme. So I left the retreat a couple of weeks early and went into a long period of just kind of a descent into the underworld. And uh, sorrow and sadness and and emotions and I felt physically ill and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I heard about from a dear friend who has been a long term practitioner and a psychologist. She said, "Why don't you come and join us for this weekend? We're working with this plant called ayahuasca. It's a medicine." And she had asked me about it like a year or two before. I was not interested, and um, I said, like, "No." That
0: is illegal, or, or I just.
1: I just thought that's not the answer. It was just like this, how could that help me? And I don't, yeah, I don't want to be with a lot of hippies and Santa Cruz. And I was like, I'm going on retreat. I'm gonna sit with it. That was what I thought at the time. I'm gonna bear down and I'm gonna be with this this thing. And I felt very strong. I know how to meditate. I can do it. It's a side of me that can get very still. And um, but Somehow having come from that retreat and not, not having, I wasn't able to meet myself, scared me. It was like I met a challenge I couldn't deal with. It was like, whoa, something opened and this was over me. And i that scared me. It destabilized my faith. Like, I can't be with this? What's going on? Right? I've always been able to be with everything, you know, no matter how bad it is. And so I just felt like I need help from some other source or a higher power and I don't know I was just open and I was so much grief I was willing to do anything it was that kind of level of just mm-hmm. I have no refuge and um so I went and it was really life changing that first night
0: now I don't I've never done ayahuasca um uh I from what I know like it makes you puke and you feels like you're dying and it sounds terrible <laughs> so do, am I wrong about this or or kind of half right
1: I- I think, I think you can have an experience where you puke and feel like you're dying at a period in the ceremony. When you take ayahuasca, it's as if you have just entered into a hospital with a healer. And this is hard for people to understand because in their reality, we're entering with ayahuasca, we entered the realm of shamanism. And shamanism, shamanism is different than our normal state of reality. It's a different level of consciousness where we've entered into another reality that's close to this one, but not quite it. So we're not in our normal state of mind. So what ayahuasca is, how the indigenous believe it to be, I'll say, is that it's a doctor and it's a living doctor. And they, when they're sick they give it to the villagers. When they themselves need to understand something, they drink it. When they need to understand a divination or some kind of, they want to know where they can hunt or where they can go, they take it. When they want to understand the root of someone else's illness, they take it and look and they can see. So for them, for the indigenous, they give it to people who are sad they give it to people who have a, like a freight, they call it, which we would say is PTSD, some mm-hmm. kind of effect, right? That person has a freight. Okay, let's give them the medicine. And then they'll sing to them for five or six hours in a ceremony. And then the person's like, wow, I feel so much better. And I know what I'm going to do. And I saw a vision of how I should proceed with my husband. This is great. Or I, And that's how it's been used in the Amazon, in Peru, Brazil, South Americas. Okay. So.
0: And so you did it this first time. Right. And you felt like it was great. Like a party oh, drug fun, you were like jumping around with glow no, sticks and you're a whistle No, you're definitely
1: not in a party mode. It there is impossible to take ayahuasca in a party mode. You'll you'll <laughs> it's just, I I can't it's not nothing like that. You were there for healing and truth. This is not that kind of if you try to take it like a party drug, you will have a night of hell. <laughs> Hours of puking your brains out because that kind of disrespect and delusion is what she's like. All right, or this she? Is. Well, it's they say it's a feminine, a grandmother. So one of the nicknames of it is is a feminine spirit. I know this is all an indigenous, uh, coming from an indigenous perspective. Yet thousands upon thousands of people see and feel the same thing. Then it's a grandmother spirit, not gentle at times. We're talking Kwan Yin and Kali mixed. Kali being the destructive, you know, destroyer of all delusion, right? A lot of chomping going on. So people can get sick, but the purging, they call it La Purja. It's also a nickname for ayahuasca, La Purja. Um, it removes toxins out of people's bodies and also the energy of the, the negativity they believe gets purged out. So, as you're reliving traumatic memories and you'll go right there, um, it's like you're you're getting it out of you.
0: What did it do for you?
1: Well, that first night when i I did it, it was held in a beautiful ceremony. It was, it was seven other people. We were in a beautiful space in the bottom of this house of a uh, in the middle of a redwood forest, and there was a maestro, someone leading the ceremony, and my friend who was the psychologist was there providing support, and we all went into it in a meditative way. We drank the medicine, and for the next, I would say, 13 hours, that's how long. It doesn't traditionally last that long, but it was basically a review of my entire life and things that I had done wrong and things that was leading to the suffering that I was feeling that I couldn't see. See, I didn't know why I had... I was in that state but it was as if it was like here's all that here's what has led up to all this difficulty and it was so clear and so profound and it was definitely dharmic to me it never has been anything but that I felt like it was like a 10-day retreat condensed in those 13 hours the understanding that I got
0: so it was like speeds you towards enlightenment it's
1: acceleration it's an accelerator. I would for sure say it's an accelerator. It cannot liberate you because only you can do that. But, it it, it won't. explain but the it, term it,
0: there. It can't liberate you. What do you mean by that? It
1: can't give you enlightenment. I think there may be some myths about, oh, if I go down to the jungle, it's going to enlighten me. No, it's not. It's too intelligent to do that. You have to choose that. You have to do that. What it can do is it can help you remove the blocks that you're not seeing and it can show you many things and it can help move these energies of trauma and stress. Like There's a lot of really beautiful work happening with soldiers right now um, drinking ayahuasca and people who have been victims of rape and abuse and they, that energy is stuck in them. They can't move past it it's like it just keeps coming up and they can't sit with it so well either those types of incidences leave a mark on you rather you want to call that karmic residue um whatever it leaves something there and this particular plant removes that residue
0: so you're you're now leading retreats in Peru that are a combination of traditional Buddhist meditation and ayahuasca. Yes. How does that go down among your fellow teachers? Are people like, oh, that's totally cool. Go for it. Or are people like you're encouraging drug use?
1: No, this is this podcast is probably going to get me in trouble, Dan, but I'm (laughs) going (laughs) to talk about it. No, it's a it's it's not something that the organizations that I work for are are saying we love that you're doing this. It's actually a point of consideration because it is um, it's controversial because people don't understand what ayahuasca is okay so they leap into the drug category because it contains dmt um so it is controversial because of that and because also teachers you know they we're all teaching the dharma as you know awareness and mindfulness as a path to freedom and so i'm not saying anything But that as well, I believe I am so committed to this path of um, Buddhism. But what I've seen is it's so helpful for people also to to work with at periods when they're called to also get help from ayahuasca. And that's people who there's so much documentation about the health benefits of it. I mean, so many healings living in the jungle for a year. I saw people walk away in the
0: jungle for a year.
1: I lived in the jungle for one year. Cross my heart.
0: <laughs> no, I believe you. But in that time, you saw some incredible things.
1: Yeah, I had been seeing it for years because I started going to Peru right after that first night. I wanted to go down. I wanted to understand where it was coming from, who was practicing it. And and it was there that I fell into working with Shipibos, who are the indigenous community around the Yucalde River. They have generations, hundreds of years of um, what uh, plant pharmacists. And when I say plant pharmacists, they don't only work with ayahuasca. They work with 15 or 1,500 other plants Mm. they know in the jungle. And they use them like an herbalist. That's what they would consider themselves. We're herbalists. You have a problem, we'll help you. This is a medicine. That's how we refer to it because there's no, once you take it, you would never refer to it anything but that again. You just wouldn't. It wouldn't even come out of your mouth. You're like, "Whoa, this is the sacred medicine." Thank you. I mean, most people, even if they have a hellish night, um, but I, you know, it's it's not right for everybody, and I understand that there's fear because we do have a fear of being out of control. We don't want to have a dark night of the soul, even if we need one. We don't want one, right? That would be the last thing we would need. But I have so much faith that we only get what is truly going to be supportive for us.
0: Have you? How many times have you done? Have you done it?
1: A lot. Many.
0: (laughs) Okay. Have you had some hellish experiences?
1: (sighs) Yeah, of course. I've had hellish nightmares on uh, meditation retreats. Dark night of the soul. Uh, Oh, uh, Dan, I work with people who are like disassociating, going, you know, I mean, I've seen it all on a meditation retreat. Terror, fear. I mean, I could tell you stories of being at the forest refuge and freaking out in 3 a.m. wandering around the kitchen. Yeah, I can. It's all your mind. So it's not like you're going to take this and have a totally... It's you. uh, You amplified. And there is a lot of scientific research being done, but it's very hard to do scientific research in the way that people want to do it because they want to prescribe this that everyone's going to have the exact same experience. It's impossible. What you could experience and what I can be experienced are going to be radically different based on what you need in that moment to evolve you. It's going to be very different. So I could sit with 18 people all having ayahuasca and there's 18 totally different experiences so it's hard to uh, create a kind of one all here you go you know doesn't, and that's what a pharmaceutical company would like to do and it's impossible
0: thank you very much for coming on
1: thank you yeah it's a joy always
0: alright there's another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast if you like it I'm going to hit you up for a favor please subscribe to it review it and rate it Uh, I want to also thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Josh Cohan, Lauren Efron, Sarah Amos, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. And uh, hit me up at Twitter, Dan B. Harris. See you next time. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
1: If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights.
0: You know, kissing under the bridge of sighs guarantees eternal love because you're the long distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know, take off 15 discount not applicable to partner operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go. slash, You know. Welcome to Pura, the most
1: pristine, safe, climate stable city on Earth, a haven amidst the wreckage. Here.